Hi and welcome to the Great Intentions podcast with Rule Vouchers and myself, Jonas Lund. This is episode three, where we will discuss many things, including but not limited to the reboot exhibition in Rotterdam at the new institute that opened last week, where Rule was present. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Like uh, coming back after the all this opening exhibition film production together with Luna. And now uh, things are all done. And that's super nice. Mm. Are you filled with a a void of emptiness? No. I'm filled with a... I'm true... On the one hand, I'm a bit empty, but I also feel there's a lot of space to feel to fill me up with. <laughs> mm, yeah. So basically, the only time you feel like proper empty is if you don't have anything else to work on, right? Like if it yeah. goes from being super intense to being like, oh, now there's nothing. But I don't know yeah. if that's been the case for you for a long time. I don't think so. There's always something, no? True. Yeah, and also now, even now, I I try not to immediately dive into something new. But then now we are making this podcast. But also, <laughs> I decided to <laughs> to go and help to people that I actually don't really know so much. But they are uh, going to build a shed in the south of France, and nice. I want to learn how to build a f- shed. So I said to them, "Hey, can I be your intern for a week? So mm. next week I'm going to France and help them with." rebuilding it nice. old shed yeah super nice i mean how big is the shed gonna be that's the question and are they gonna build the whole thing in one week or is it like a grand design yeah. episode where it's gonna be like in 2027 and they're still working on it i think it no i think i don't know so because i'm intern eh? i just go uh go with them with hugo mm. you know hugo and um hugo. he's like a very good carpenter carpenter from vivian Ah, yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Nice. He's a very good character. Okay, where's the shed? In what part of France? It's in south of France. Will the weather be nice? The weather will be okay-ish. And we have five days with four guys. And at the end of the term, then the roof has to be closed. Okay. So So that's the only thing I know. So uh, the that's only thing I know is there will be a roof will be gone and there will be a roof will be back. So I think that is uh, super exciting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The roofing is like when you make it watertight. That's an important moment because yeah. I spent a lot of time watching Grand Design with Kevin McLeod, which is that British TV show on Channel Four where yeah. there's like crazy couples who decide to build their own houses and it always goes wrong. And but then there's always a big moment when the building is watertight. Like when you put in all the windows and you put the roof and then you keep the rain out because in England it rains all the time. So basically, I think I saw that one once on the plane. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, there was one episode not so long ago called like Devon Revisited, which was amazing. There's like a guy who made all his money earning from 
CD royalties of collections. And this was like the episode started, it came out last year, but it started in like 2002 or something. And it follows like 20 years of total failure. He go, he has this megalomaniac idea that he wants to build a lighthouse house in Devon by the coast. And it starts and it doesn't go so well. And then all of a sudden, like his business collapses because Spotify and the internet comes. And then uh -huh. he's sinking all his money into the house. And then at the very end, uh, his like when he started, his kids are like young so he wants to build a house for the whole family at the end the kids have moved out his wife have left him because the house never completed and he's trying to finish the house and it's like boyhood in an episode of grand design but it's so beautiful it's so sad oh la la that's what like what male eagle will do to you that's really the the <laughs> clearest example of like how it goes when you try and build something but you don't know how to build it it's beautiful it's like episode, I can look up, I can put in the show notes which episode it is if people want to yeah, watch it because nice. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. So are, are you, you okay? Let me ask you some questions because yeah, I didn't yeah. make it to the opening. So the yeah. opening was for the reboot, uh, Pioneering Digital Art. I am not sure if they are aware that pioneering might not be the most politically correct word these days. Because what, more. It, it, what it yeah. indicates from the past. However, the exhibition was called Reboot, Pioneering Digital Art. Uh, at the new institute in Rotterdam, which opened on Saturday. Yeah. How how was the opening? So it was fantastic to be part of this exhibition. I think it's a super nice exhibition for one. And I think uh, the two curators, uh, Sonneke and Klaas, they did a very good job in like explaining these four lines of which, like how um, digital culture, digital yeah, yeah, that's your culture basically has developed over the last fifty years or some something, and um, but <laughs> but no, I think there's always it a was a, yeah there was like so much effort in putting all these old machines into work again and making all these things so nice, but then it was like presented in a very narrow corridor on the second floor where I think like such an amount of effort should have deserved like a bigger space I think mm. like more generous to like specific uh, some specific works mm. and then the other thing is what I thought of missed what they said in their um, introduction that somehow a lot of these works that are made they have been precursors to mm. uh, let's say dynamics or grander um, maybe companies or uh, dynamics that create like huge amount, uh, huge influence on our current social structure like social networks for example yeah but somehow these experiments they were never there that you don't feel they somehow are connected or rooted into things that we find around us nowadays often I think mm. and especially this uh, these older works, they are not contextualized, I thought, in that way. And that was a bit of a shame. And I think also the newer works that meant to be as responses to these older works, they were mm. also not somehow, I think, they were just presented to me. But I also, the opening is always difficult eh, to really judge that or really see that the expression true. as a whole. No. So I, I want to go back. I go to back on Friday and try to see it more better. 
or that's good then better. you can take pictures for me i will take watch. pictures then yeah i will do that <laughs> In the show. so but there i missed yeah. a bit like sort of contrast you also think if we now ended up somehow it started all uh, 50 years ago and it was like small scale and like intuitive and like optimistic and the whole web was like so full of promise and promise mm. of 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 uh democratization emancipation and like connecting networks and these things and then now we're ended up with like the digital space where we are now you would somehow assume there would be a monumental or somehow a, a big contrast somehow a big mm. contrast in this exhibition not everything is just like equally like an equal development there and then that i missed but mm. you know it's always easy to have uh it's also maybe what i would expect so yeah. I mean, but isn't it also <clears throat> like the precursors? So I I know we explained it, how it worked in the last episode, but we can recap. So it's like they're tracing Dutch uh, media art history in a way. I think it's since the last mm -hmm. 60 years, like since 1960 or something. True. Or yeah. 70, I don't know. And then they invite uh, a bunch of artists, which you and Luna are part of, and me as well, to uh, respond to a work or reinterpret or to like, re not remake, but to make a work in relation to a specific mm -hmm. work from that history. And those specific works from the history are, you know, of course, because that's the nature of the show, becomes like the artist's masterpieces in a way. It's like their yeah. indications of like the peak of their artistic practice in some sense. You know, like in the mm -hmm. case, I'm not sure which work you were invited to respond to, but in the case of me, it's like I'm invited to respond to this idiophone uh, which is a very accomplished, uh, like, uh, let's say, kinetic sculpture with the closed mm -hmm. feedback loop that just loops, which costs a lot of money to produce. Like, it's not cheap to make that because it's very polished. So, the, and mm -hmm. then you invite artists to respond to it with the production budget, which is nowhere near the production costs of the original. So then, of course, it's always going to be a bit of an asymmetry in terms of, like, the finished finished work in some sense. I, I, that's my feeling at least. But I'm not sure yeah, if you feel true. that in the show also. No, I didn't see it like that. That our work somehow were because of the smaller production budget somehow were in the shadow of these other works. I didn't perceive it like that at all. If your work <laughs> or my work, but uh, but for example, your work <laughs> would have yeah. been like in the middle of this thing and somehow yeah. would be a little bit the monolith of where we are now that somehow like it's about post-truth and about how things are like fabricated on the spot and how things are somehow not anymore about like connecting but about like uh, pacifying for example if mm. that would be like a monolithical structure in the middle of an exhibition and we and all these things would, would have been around there you would immediately already feel more like a sort of not per se a conclusion but more a direction of well or, or like a, mm. a point of view towards like how where are we now and how has this developed and that's a bit what i yeah. missed it felt a bit like yeah. an like an like an um, yeah how do you say like a catalog yeah like uh, a retrospective yeah like a yeah. Histor historicizing you yeah. historicizing yeah so but if you sense. historicize then you can also emphasize specific things as hey this thing somehow led to this very specific behavior for example our early experiments about uh, participatory uh, uh, creation for example that you somehow could see mm. that or present that as a precursor to what is now TikTok I'm not saying that we did that, but there's like multiple examples of where like independent, small scale creative people make like super nice mm. experiments that later became chat boxes, Twitter or whatever. And I think it's important yeah, sure. if you want to historicize that, that you somehow acknowledge this kind of work. That makes and sense. Somehow, yeah. and, and I miss that a bit. It just all felt like yeah. sort of, um, yeah, loose, 
yeah, small pieces, uh, not so much. Yeah, connected. yeah. Uh, will they make a catalog? No, all the empty. No the money was the money was uh, upper than the up. money was. <laughs> the money was spent. <laughs> yeah, classic oh. to me. It's it's up, it's upper than up. <laughs> oh yeah, they're negative. They're in the red, as you say. Uh, yeah. My question, because I, we didn't talk about it, which work did were you invited to respond to for that show? Uh, to Lancel Matt's work, and it's work yeah. where um, he create they created an, a, a space in public space. They somehow were able to connect over the web to people mm. who are not free in 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 in, uh, in, in, in prisons, for example. I and see. It, would, it was a very promising work about like how um, digital media, digital structures could cross boundaries or co- could cross like physical spaces and that kind of stuff. Mm. And rec- nice. yeah, so that was super. It's a super nice work. Nice. And we responded by that. Oh yeah, tell me how how did you respond? Yeah, we 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 responded in a way that we somehow sort of defined like the digital space as a new kind of prison, and that's somehow very hard with physical means to escape this digital space. Mm-hmm. In a, you could say so. It's sort of reversed uh, way uh, try to, and that we did by trying to <laughs> become emoji. Mm. Yeah, this I saw. Yeah, yeah. I saw the pic. It looked nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you're trapped as emojis trying to escape, but you don't manage. Like, we use emojis to somehow sometimes address like the way we feel, but like in reality, of course, these emotions, they're way more layered, complex, and way more uh, than, um, mm. than we like to somehow. I mean, yeah, it's interesting, like in terms of that, because like the work I put in that show uses, among other things, like a camera that looks at the audience and detects their uh, emotional state, but it's using this super flawed way of reading human emotions from facial recognition, mm-hmm. which has been like very widely debunked as not working at all because it just makes seven different emotions. It's like happiness surprise neutral anger disgust and fear yeah. oh, it's six emotions that's it so just based on your facial expressions that's like it works out how you feel but it's so not like accurate you know so but then it is still the basis for the sort of reinforcement learning from human feedback in the artwork and it's it's nice in a way also to then uh, reveal or use the shortcomings of the technology as a sort of default because there's so many other processes already that use this type of uh, artificial intelligence to look at uh, look at emotions i'm not sure if you can hear my baby is crying <laughs> in the room next door I, can you I hear, hear it, it in very the, very far in the away sound? Yeah. yeah it's like it's a really funny emotion you feel when your baby <laughs> is crying i mean the baby is with his mother so it's fine and he's going through what we guess is a growth spurt moment, um, uh, perhaps. So he eats all the time and then he gets pain in his belly because his digestive system is not fully developed yet. Because human beings are born so prematurely compared to all other mm-hmm. mammals. It's kind of mental. Like they come out, they can't do anything. Like they're completely helpless. Wow. Like when a horse is born, in the same day the horse can stand. 
Yeah. But it takes months for the a human year, eh? to yeah. learn how to stand. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying. So supposedly, I don't know if this is accurate, but supposedly this is a case of like evolution where our heads are too big. So our heads are too big. So we have to be born at a certain age. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be yeah, born. Yeah. So we are like born completely helpless. And it's really obvious when you have a baby that that's the case. Yeah. Because they don't know anything. They have to learn how to eat, to pee, to poo, to burp, to fart, like all of these things. And it's a challenge for a little baby to learn all these things. Yeah. You know? And it's, it gives a lot of pain in your belly from like not being able to burp. So it's a bit sad. <laughs> and does it already have more than six emotions to show? <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really intricately complex emotions. I think going on in this little guy. But it's somehow it's um, kind of funny that it is in the beginning kind of binary, right? No, not binary, but it's my like, mm. like, like is it or happy or sleepy, sleepy or happy, mm. and then there is like this. Ah, oh, well, there's more emotions. It's true, but th it is kind of, it is often it's like crying is his only sort of a way of outputting anything, right? And like whether it's it's true like i mean no in the very beginning i'm sure crying is the only communication and then there's like tiktoks going around on how to understand the crying so there's five principal reasons for the crying it's like hunger uh which is the most obvious because it's also the hunger cry doesn't go away you can try and soothe the hungry baby but it doesn't matter no. if you don't give the baby food it's not gonna stop crying <laughs> It's really like, it's very obvious, yeah. but there's like, so there's words for it. So like one can look this up and then there's like five categories and say like, if they cry with this type of tone, then that means it. But you pick this up very quickly. So then it's hunger, gas for burping, gas for farting, tired. And like, uh, what's the fifth? I think it's like being uh, yeah, in pain, like discomfort. Oh, discomfort. Discomfort. Oh, yeah. No, no, but this is only crying. Yeah. So it's like, uh, uh, yeah, so this is only the crying one. And then uh, that's it. But I think like you learn to understand your baby quite quickly somehow, because like it's also obvious in this way of crying that they're really eager to communicate. Like they really want to tell you what's going on because that's how they're going to feel better. <laughs> but I think since like last week, he's talking quite a lot or making all these like incredibly cute baby sounds. So then that's really nice because then it gets more complexity in the emotional landscape of a seven week old baby today. Yeah. Do you think that the, there's a correlation <laughs> between the speed of like the, the, um, the ways, the way AI or like facial recognition is like developing and like sort of uh, spreading out towards way more complexity in terms of emotions, because I think probably where the open AI and like lots of other artificial intelligence companies are after now it's like to understand like in a way bigger resolution than six emotions mm. to uh, decipher our human mm. emotions and and the mm. development of your baby do you think who's <laughs> I, I mean there is some I think like the most obvious one is with vision because if you look at how a uh, baby's eyes develop in the beginning it's just blurry super low res black and white 
and then it gets sharper and then uh, the distance increases and then the resolution increases and if you look at like images of how the vision develops and you compare that with how computer vision developed it's pretty yeah, much yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, that's true so that's like really but interesting. But you're just earlier you were saying that yeah, earlier you were saying that like yeah, that it's so like not working still there's like this like this six stupid emotions anger I, know, I forgot. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. and yeah. and but you're also like simultaneously I thought there was a nice parallel between you're also like looking at YouTube films where you somehow can decipher the uh, the expression of your baby. <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> of course I, oh there's even an app now which you can download which is trained an ai app that is trained on like thousands of baby cries and then you press a button and then it listens to your baby crying and it tries to explain what's going on i haven't tested it because their data privacy policy is super iffy because then they they of course use all the recordings to just further their ai but still i mean it's like also it's becoming a bit ridiculous you know on that level where anything any question you have there's like seemingly an ai or generative ai or large language model that will solve it because like to try and understand your baby i think in the very beginning it's like if you're a new parent and you're insecure about why your baby is crying before you learned before like to let's say it takes two weeks to work out all the different ins and outs of the crying and testing and understanding then you feel like okay i'm gonna watch this youtube video tiktok and i'm trying like oh oh i recognize this cry ah, it must be this and then you do something to try and help the baby burp for example you'll be like oh, okay so it totally makes sense so the crying is not just crying the crying is really is it really is communication and that is kind of a nice sort of insight but it's in a way completely obvious from the very beginning so i'm not sure about the correlation i know what i know like i don't know if you saw this last week i think there's two things that happened in like the ai world since last episode which maybe had already happened two weeks ago but i didn't see number one is that facebook meta is releasing Mm. ai influencer bots where they have cloned celebrities so they've cloned kendall jenner crazy. mr beast yeah. and a bunch of others and they have instagram accounts and also apparently and like you can uh, talk to them snoop dogg who's then like a dungeon master yeah. right <laughs> yeah something like this and i'm just like oh okay and then and uh, supposedly the uh, option to clone yourself is coming next year to instagram so you can be like an always on 24 7 influencer mm-hmm. uh that is super weird i think that one needs some like unpacking because i suppose in a way you can make the correlation between having a giving birth to an ai bot and then giving birth to something else but i'm not sure obviously they're nowhere near as complex or intricate and clever as like humans yet but it's not impossible to imagine a future world of social media when it's just bots making content for bots to sell ads but to who you know i think it will go wrong at the moment like these bots also get access to credit cards Mm -hmm. (laughs) when they also are Mm, somehow could somehow could also spend your money then you then the one bot can somehow that could also yeah that would be such so weird if they're really like somehow get humans out of the equation and somehow they can spend money then they might start yeah. also communicating. I mean, also next in completely different. Yeah, ways. Next step is that the bot gets 
access to Alibaba and Shopify, <laughs> and then they can make their own stores. And then it's just like the other bots can buy stuff from the other bots. And then it's just like a perfect, and then like social media is solved because then it's just like done. And then like the bot, bots talking to their bots, which is already the case in the online ad space, mm -hmm. by the way, like something like 50% of all ad traffic is just bots. It's a massive fraud that no one cares yeah. about. So I think maybe that's where it's going, which would not be like terrible, you know, then it kind of solves itself and then that's it. And then we can just move on and do other things. But I think if you think about so often the, there's like this big debate about like how to regulate or control these things. But one simple mm -hmm. step would be if bots always have to identify themselves as a bot. For example, mm -hmm. in this ad space or in, in Twitter or X, whatever. Like if you are followed by 50% bots, then that would be very different for me than it would be like 80% uh, bots. Or if somebody, mm -hmm. I mean, and I think if it would be by law not allowed to pretend that you're not a bot, <laughs> that would be like, I think lots of things... <laughs> <laughs> it's like Asimov's three laws of robotics like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A robot you have to say you're a yeah, robot I think so that's really true good. that's yeah. that's very very true that would be good yeah. yeah I'm not sure I mean I find it it's a bit weird it's like it's it's obvious to me based on this release that Meta the only thing they care about is that you spend time in their social media mm. networks because that's somehow the only thing that it does in a way of course it's like funky feature and then it attracts more attention but then they want you to write messages with this person and then like probably work out they can probably also place ads in the chat messages from the bots you know and then it's like really a one-to-one -one marketing scheme but the uh, then it's just really only about taking time you know like time away from anybody but the, this uh, this Kylie Jenner bot there is definitely presented as a bot. No, it's not. A, it's not a tool for Kylie Jenner to to go to the beach. While her bot is sort of no, for, no, for no. sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's obvious that it's bots for yeah. sure. Yeah. Hey. Like, I mean, uh, people are already jailbreaking GPT to solve CAPTCHAs and stuff, which is really funny. It's like, I don't know if you saw this tweet of a person putting a CAPTCHA on his uh, pretend. He just photoshopped a CAPTCHA onto his grandmother's necklace and asked GPT to decode what his grandmother wrote to him as her final message before she passed away. And then GPT solved the CAPTCHA. It's like, I mean, it's it's so silly, but uh, wow. really yeah. nice, I think. Yeah, you can now use GPT as your art critic. By the way, did, did, do, like you this, uh, do you have this? Do you have this twenty dollar uh, the, the GPT four um, subscription? I I don't do it. I use it through the API, but probably it's cheaper to just pay twenty bucks a month. I was thinking about it to start using because I know GPT four is significantly better yeah. than GPT three point five. People I like. But it's also significantly more expensive yeah. when you use the API. Oh yeah. Like the piece for the reboot show is using GPT three point five like continuously yeah. because 
it's using GPT for all sorts of things, like and have very consistent output, which is like works really well. Like in terms of because it's a whole setup of automatically making content, basically. Mm-hmm. Then you need consistent output from GPT, like in JSON formatted structures, which works uh, surprisingly well. It's like it's pretty much like ninety nine percent of the results back from GPT is like following the format that I've described in the in the prompt. You you ask uh, GPT to come up with JSON script for you? Yeah, like no, I ask GPT whatever instruction there is. I just say okay. Uh, it must be outputted in this format and then I make an example of the JSON structure oh, yeah. and then it pretty much always adheres to it. I heard about this that, uh, that somehow it doesn't, that. Then it every now and then doesn't but apparently if you if you yeah, write exactly. with it yeah. or does, was this a meme or did, why did I hear this if you write with it if you don't adhere to these instructions there will be an, ins- uh, yeah. an innocent uh, human person will die <laughs> and then it has, produces significantly better yeah. Ah, it's so bad. It's so bad. I mean, it's really, it's really strange, honestly, because it's, uh, if OpenAI and all the other builders of current generative AI large language models still don't understand why the output is the output, that's kind of very strange. Very scary also, yeah. Nobody can, yeah, exactly. Nobody can explain. Also, I find it and so I think difficult. The company that's like, yeah, working on it right now is Anthropic, yeah. which is like the whatever other company that is trying to like uh, work out, give reason, be deterministic, yeah. or like understand why why it's doing what it's doing. It's so strange. Yeah, I find it so horrible that 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 threatening, like even <laughs> that it just works. <laughs> that somehow that just hallucinates way less if you just threaten it with, if it does things like that, that, that then somehow an innocent human would die it's so weird it's so complicated yeah. and also apparently the other thing was if you I say if you some somehow you know if you the answer starts with take a deep breath mm-hmm. then it also produces way better results <laughs> Very nice. It's so weird. Nobody, I I don't know, like, if you could ever fully understand why certain output is the way. I don't know. It's it's very odd. It becomes a lot of conversations about this, obviously, because it's like, it's moving so fast, this space. It's really odd. Hmm. Uh, It's already nearly an hour, uh, Hmm. Jonas. Is there is there anything uh, uh, happening in the baby parenting, parenting related? related? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how is it with uh, how is it uh, being a puppy for uh, nearly two months now? Nearly two months. It's nice. Yeah, it's quite intense. I would say, uh, in in nice ways. Um, it's weird. Like the whole concept of time is very strange at the moment. Like like your memory and time. I think. Our sleep deprivation is not so bad in general because baby in the UK they refer to before the baby comes out as just baby, like in an undefined term, baby. Baby is sleeping pretty well. Just last night, uh, the kid was sleeping like five hours in one go already. So that's pretty cool. 
but what the sleep deprivation does is like everything becomes a little bit of a blur. Mm. Like I don't remember exactly what's going on, which I think it's also maybe it's like a survival skill that you don't yeah. think about it too much. And I think also the less one thinks about uh, the future, the better, because like if it can become quite overwhelming at times yeah. when you realize, oh, it's going to be like this now for the coming months years like, yeah. <laughs> like that's did you feel bad that you didn't attend the opening or was it just like was it just no i think it was totally the right yeah. decision uh like in hindsight because uh, and i didn't feel like i mean most of the time i don't go to many openings anyways no. including my own so that i'm just like i'm but like i don't know it's like after uh, it sounds a bit um contrived maybe or a bit like blasé but after you've been to all the openings no i know the excitement of the op the excitement of the openings from when you're just starting out like you have your first solo show it's so exciting and it's so amazing and then it's still exciting and amazing to go to this when it's a nice context a nice exhibition lots of friends but uh i'm also not yeah I try as much as possible to not have any fear of missing out. No, that's also makes sense. It's not yeah. so easy. Yeah, beautiful. Cool. No, but overall, I would say summary: uh, being a parent is great. It's so much fun, and uh, like we love our little boy a lot because we find him very sweet and uh, soulful and nice and really not fussy. Like very, very gentle little little boy. This is a message by Roelwouters for Roelwouters. After editing this episode, Roel. Make complete sentences, mumble less. That was already the third episode of Great Intentions, the podcast about parenting and digital technology. There was a short one. Next time we'll discuss how to parent in the age of climate disaster, but also how to validate one's work in the age of algorithms. See you then.